Well, this morning we're going to continue our study through the book of Romans, and we're going to hopefully close out chapter 4. And as we begin to finish this book, I just want to take time to thank you for your patience as we study through through this book. Sometimes it's we can be in a certain text for quite a while, and I know some people grow impatient. Isn't he ever going to get out of chapter four? You know, but there's so much in there, and we're just kind of touching the tip of the iceberg as we go through it together. And so hopefully, we're laying down a good foundation for the rest of the book. Um, as we study this, this text together. But today will be the last day in, in Romans chapter 4. Um, it may seem at times that even the, the apostle is kind of uh, going over and over and over the same things. And I think we have to remember that it's all in God's word. It's all part of his word. And so as a result of that, God must, must want us to hear it over and over and over again. And it deals with that wonderful doctrine of justification by faith and faith alone. And that's really the message of the Christian gospel, isn't it? Uh, That salvation comes through faith alone, that it doesn't come through our own works, our own goodness, our own self-righteousness. That is the message that sinners need to hear in order to be made right with God. Uh, And it requires God's sovereign grace coming into their life and through the willing faith of the, the sinner believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to illustrate that to his Jewish readers. And to do that, he raises up a man that we are all probably pretty familiar with, Abraham. And he does that because the Jews kind of put him on a pedestal. And before there ever was really a Jewish people at all, there was Abraham. He came out of, they came out of uh, him. And so the Jewish people um, have a hard time understanding that it's by faith and faith alone that we are saved. And so what Paul does is he uses the illustration of Abraham and Abraham's faith and Abraham's salvation. How did he get that? And so today we're going to look at faith, Abraham, and the Christian but before we do that, I just want to give you a little background as a way of um, introduction about Abraham. And before we do that, we're going to read from verses 16 down through the end of the chapter in the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations." As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That's really a key verse there. Verse 23, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When you read those words, there's a lot in there, and we've been kind of going over this passage for some time, but it really gives a testimony of Abraham's faith. It tells us what his faith was based on. It tells us a little bit about Abraham himself, and that is the faith, the saving faith, that God responds to in verse 22 when he says that's the faith that is counted as his righteousness. 
And it's not only for Abraham. He points out in verse 23. It's not only for his sake, but it's for our sake also. And it's for the sake of all those who would believe in the God who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And so Abraham is really a model of faith for everybody. And when you think of his life, you can't help but think of faith. I mean, there's a couple people in the Bible that I think of having great faith. You think of, obviously, the Apostle Paul. You think in the Old Testament of Abraham. And you also think of, I think of Noah. I mean, it's raining outside. If God said, boy, there's going to be a worldwide flood, you know, you better make some preparation for it. It would be one thing if he said that when it was raining and the, the, the tide was rising and everything. They had never heard of rain. They didn't know what rain was. And yet Noah, because God communicated to him the need for obedience and what he needed to do, he went out and he got the materials and he did exactly what God told him to do. And it's funny how when we're confronted with a step of faith, it happens in our Christian lives when we first come to Christ. It happens in our Christian lives later on in life when we're confronted with an obstacle and God kind of gloriously kind of gives us an answer to prayer and we get that energetic feeling again and, boy, we feel like we're ready to walk on water. And then it seems to wear out. And we fall back into trusting in the flesh. It's interesting to me that Noah, as soon as God told him to do what he needed to do, what did he do? He went out and he got all the materials. You know, that would be the fun part of the job, right? I mean, who doesn't like to go to Home Depot, guys, and buy stuff? I mean, that's just a fun thing to do. I mean, can you imagine having a shopping list from God that gives you the ability to go and get whatever you need and put this all together? I mean, you'd be kind of excited. It'd be kind of a neat little project. The only problem was it took 120 years. Talk about faith. Never indication that there was a flood. Never indication that there was anything other than God's word. That's all Noah operated on. And Abraham is the same way. And so he lifts up Abraham really as a model of faith to his Jewish readers, but also to us. And his faith is defined and it's credited to him, it says, as righteousness. And it really gives us the example of how we can have God's righteousness as well given to us, imputed to us, not because we're working hard to get it, but simply by believing the promise of God who raised Christ from the dead. And his death was the death that satisfied God and his justice with his sacrifice on the cross. Well, Abraham started out as Abram. We know this. And we discussed this a little bit, but I just want to give you a little more background. He's father of, of many. That's what that means, Abram. Uh, Barnhouse gives an interesting little side note in his commentary on Abraham. And he basically uh, tells us about Abraham's uh, background and his faith. And the one thing he says is, Abraham was an Oriental. <clears throat> he was <clears throat> used to the ways of the Orientals. Furthermore, he was strategically located along the roads of uh, the, the camel caravans that carried the commerce of the ancient world between Egypt and the north and the east. He owned the wells, and he owned the flocks, and he owns all these herds, and he had many servants. The scripture says in Genesis 2 that Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And when the caravans of the rich merchants came into the land, whether they were from the north or the south, it didn't matter. They always stopped at Abraham, Abram's wells. And the servants of Abram would take good care of their camels as these travelers would come through, and they would be help out with the, the traders. Um, they would sell them food. In the evening time, the merchants, Barnhouse says, would come to Abram's tent to pay the respect for his hospitality. And he gives kind of a picture of what the conversation might be in the tent as these weary travelers are paying the respect to Abram. 
He says this, the guest, the guest would have said, Abraham, Abraham, how old are you? Oh, how long have you been here? But maybe the most interesting question they would have asked would be, how is it that your name is Abram? How many children do you have? <laughs> it must have happened over and over because they knew what the name meant, father of many. You can only imagine Abraham saying, oh, father of, uh, the, the traveler saying, oh, father of, of many, congratulations, how many sons do you have? Only for him to have to answer, well, none. <laughs> I don't have any. And when you stop and you think about that, you know, that, that must have been a difficult situation. He goes on, Barnhouse, he says, the father of many, father of none. And it was a world of cloth and goatskins where everybody lived in tents and where there was little privacy from the eyes and none from the realm of the ears. There must have been many conversations on the subject. Who do you think was sterile, Abram or Sarah? Was he really a full man? Or was the patriarch somehow deficient? After all, he had no children, and yet his name was the father of many. When you stop and you think about that, and you think of God's promise, what God promised Abraham, that your seed will be many, your offspring will be many, and how he lived through many uh, a different trial, different situations, whether it was the famine, Pharaoh, the fight, fear, foolishness, all those things he had to deal with at some point in his life. And yet he never wavered. He's waiting for the seed that God promised, and he's waiting in faith. And so, God literally, sovereignly plucked him out of humanity. Said, you know what? Leave all your city, leave your idols, and I'm going to show you where to go. Now, we don't know how God communicated that to him because the Bible doesn't tell us. But he must have made himself pretty clear, as only God can, because Abram obeyed. He left his home, he left his people, he left his land, he took his wife, and he went on the journey with his servants to basically an unknown destination. Now, that alone would be unnerving to me. You know, when I go somewhere, usually I like to know where I'm going. I don't like to get in the car and just drive. It's always a topic of conversation whenever we go out to eat. Dear, do you want to go to eat? Sure, I'd like to go out to eat. Okay, where do you want to go? I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'll be in the car. <laughs> and I go out and I wait in the car. And usually my wife comes out five minutes later. Car's running. She opens the door. She gets in. Where do you want to go? I don't know. So, well, I'm not moving until we figure out where we're going. <laughs> Gas is not cheap. And eventually we end up working through it. <laughs> Nobody likes to go somewhere where there's, there's no destination. You know, um, and that's even when you're going out for just a joy ride and just going out for a relaxing ride. In your mind, you think, okay, you know, I'm going to go over 92 and go up the coast and come back down and do the loop or whatever. I mean, you kind of know where you're going to go. And yet, Abram had no idea where God was taking him, where his destination was. That's a big leap of faith on his part. But he counted on God's sovereign leadership in his life. He counted on God's promise. And when you stop and you think this land of promise that was kind of described to him at some point, he actually stopped in a little place called Haran for 15 years. Never got to where he was going. He went, he went to Haran. And so... Here's this man who had a deferred promise of this promised land, and he basically stopped in Haran for 15 years, and finally, after 15 years was done, he set out for the land of promise once again. Now, he is sovereignly chosen by God for this task. He didn't volunteer. God came to him. 
He told him to leave everything he was familiar with, everything that he possessed, everything that he cherished. And on the way, he gets stuck in this kind of no man's land for 15 years. When you begin to understand Abram and you understand his background, you begin to understand that he is a man who can operate on one single promise. He's a man who doesn't need to see immediate fulfillment like we do a lot of times. He's a man who can put off and wait for God's promise to literally be fulfilled. And so... A lot of times in our own Christian walk, we need to be reminded of that. So many times we're the, you know, the society of the instant. We want everything right away. And sometimes God says, no, that's not my plan. And when God says, that's not my plan, that's exactly what he means. And when we grow impatient and we say, well, I know it's probably not God's plan, but I'm going to do this anyway. And we thwart God's will for our life, his sovereign will for our life, and we go out and we trust in the flesh and kind of say, well, I'm just going to make this happen because this makes sense. We usually get into trouble. We usually end up in a place worse off than where we were before because we're not truly trusting God. We're trusting in ourselves. We're trying to come up with a solution. Well, that's exactly what happened with Abram. I mean, he's living with this name. It's an embarrassment. People are asking, how many sons do you have? He's constantly got to say, nobody. So Sarah decided to kind of help things out a little bit and made the suggestion that Abram go to the servant girl named Hagar, we know this story, and try to get her pregnant. And maybe that's how God's going to fulfill his promise. At least they would know whether it was Sarah or Abraham who was deficient in the matter. So Abraham was so desperate about having this promised seed, he agreed to this. I mean, it's amazing what we can do when we're in desperate situation. We don't even think straight. So Hagar ends up becoming pregnant. And then everybody knew, guess who was the problem? Sarah. So how would... You feel, ladies, if that was the case. So she felt despised. She didn't realize that she couldn't bear a child. um, And she hated the handmaid. Who could? So as a result of that, the child born of the handmaid, whose name was Ishmael, we know that. But Abraham, he finally had an heir. He finally had somebody. So when people ask, how many kids you got here? I got got a son. I got one. Still wasn't living up to his name, but his heart was one of desiring God's promised seed to be fulfilled in his life. As a matter of fact, it was so much so that felt like a a man at the age of 86 when Ishmael was born, and he cried out to the Lord in Genesis 17, verse 18. It says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He really had a desire that Ishmael would become this promised seed. He prayed almost a divine blessing on Ishmael, saying somehow this is, I think this is God's promise being fulfilled. And so many times when we take things into our own hands and we do things our own way in the flesh, we can actually convince ourselves that this is what God wants. When I used to, as a youth pastor, I used to counsel teenagers. I used to talk to teenagers and you know, sometimes they'd get involved in their relationship more than they should and the parents weren't even in favor of them dating at all. In, in spite of all that, they were, still were, and they ended up getting in trouble, and I ended up talking to them, and they, it always came down to the same thing. But we just love each other. We love each other. We feel this is right. And, you know, I always had to say, well, I got news for you. It's not right, <laughs> and here's why. Sometimes they'd listen, sometimes they wouldn't. And usually when they wouldn't listen, you can look back on those kids' lives, and their lives are just 
what they thought was the answer to their, their, their problems in life, this other person, and boy, they're going to start a family, they're going to do all this stuff and have all these great aspirations. They end up being a single mom or a single dad, and their children end up being messed up because of the situation. And it's just a world and life of hurt, all because it came down to a silly decision because they thought they were doing the right thing because it felt good, it felt right. Well, Abram gave in to that. He had a son. But Ishmael was born of natural abilities, natural powers, you might say. But at least Abraham could say, I had one son. This is not the son from, you know, uh, the supernatural promise, but it was, it was something he took into his own hands. And the scriptures kind of use that as an illustration of our, when we're Christians and we're dealing with our lives in the flesh. We try to deal with things in the flesh. We try to take things into our own hand and, and deal with them the way we think we should rather than trust God and his promise. And that's exactly what Abram did. Well, God eventually, 13 years later when he was 99, <laughs> God gave him another son. And this was not by natural power. This was by obviously supernatural power. God gave him the promise of an heir, the son of promise. A son not of his own natural ability, not of the flesh, just trying to make God's promise happen. No, it was an amazing event that took place. And at that point, amazingly, God changed his name. His first name was Abram, the father of many, and then he changed his name to Abraham, meaning the father of multitudes. So now he had two sons, the son of the natural generation and Isaac, the son of the supernatural generation. And it was supernatural because Abraham and Sarah were both barren. They were old when Isaac was born. It had to be the work of God. And sometimes, you know what? God allows things into our lives and backs us into a corner where we can only trust in him to work the situation out. And sometimes that's exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to wait on him. He wants us to trust in his promise. God gave life to the deadness of Sarah, and he gave life to the deadness of Abram. And really, that's what the gospel message does for us, does it not? We're lost in our trespasses and sin. We're counted as dead. And yet God steps in and supernaturally gives us life. What an amazing thing. It's not something that we generate. It's not something that we come up with on our own. It's not something that we get because we're, we're being goody two-shoes or anything like that. No. And this is the message of Romans 4 to these Jewish people that thought, well, if I just do this, if I just keep the law, if I just do all these religious rituals, if I just do that, do this, then somehow God's going to like me more. And Paul is saying, no, even your own forefather, Abraham, was a man of faith. Ishmael then, really, he illustrates the principle of the flesh, trusting in the flesh, rejecting the promise of faith and putting your flesh to work to kind of carry out the deeds of God. Ishmael was a child of human effort. And yet Isaac was a child of divine provision. Ishmael is the son born in the usual way. And really, he's a living representative of all those who have experienced only the natural birth. Who have been born only into the slavery of sin. On the other hand, Isaac is a son born of faith. By that supernatural miracle that God did in their lives. And he, he, he's used as an illustration of those who receive Spiritual birth. Now, he didn't receive this promise by human effort, Abraham. We know that. His human effort only brought Ishmael. That was it. And if you know anything about history, Ishmael has just been trouble since day one. I mean, even today, the Middle East 
is full of Ishmaelites who profoundly hate the seed that came from Isaac. That's where the whole Middle East crisis comes from. So here we have Abraham finally receiving this promise, the son of a promise, and it's really a picture of our own salvation because Abraham made no contribution to that child on his own. He could not bring about the pregnancy of Sarah at the age of 99, nor could Sarah produce a child on her own. There was no way for that to happen by human effort. But it was Abraham's faith that was counted to him as righteousness. So when you stop and you look and you just do a little kind of a a rewind of chapter 4, you begin to understand that in verses, the first eight verses, Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And then in verses 9 to 17, it says he was justified by grace, not by the law. And then verses 18 to 25, he was justified by divine power, not human effort. Salvation is by faith, it's by grace, it's by sovereign power, divine power. Amy Murata came up with some neat little pictures I'm going to put up on the screen that she, she drew for me during, her, during the message. So hopefully you're okay with this, Amy. I didn't ask her, so. <laughs> but she gave these to me, and she said, this is a picture of your message, basically. This was several weeks ago. But just in way of review, what's so special about God's righteousness? It's holy. It lasts forever. It gives us joy. It has a unique source, a unique endurance, a unique quality. I mean, see, this is what we're striving for. Put the next one up. She goes through the aspects of God's righteousness. Well, first of all, we talked about that it comes from God. It comes only from God. Second one is that it's apart from the law. I like all the little... (laughs) Glad it's sinking in. And then the third one, it's received only by faith. See? That's how simple it is. It doesn't have to be difficult. And yet, we make this Christian journey more than difficult so many times. Thank you, Amy, for those those pictures. And so today, I want to look at faith, Abraham, and the Christian. And I just want to talk about this a little bit for about 20 minutes. Abraham's faith, first of all, in in God's promise that he would be the father of many nations. Verses 17 to 22. Well, what was the object of Abraham's faith? That's the first thing. If you can have faith in a lot of things, but what's the faith? What's the object of Abraham's faith? Well, first of all, it was the God of the impossible. Look at verse 17. Romans 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the, of the God in whom he believed. First of all, who gives life to the dead. Who gives life to the dead. That's something that Abraham clearly had faith in. He understood that our God had ultimate power over life and death. That's why when he was taking Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice his own son, that was the fulfillment of God's promise, He was able to pick that knife up and he was going to plunge it into the heart of his son and sacrifice his son because that's what God told him to do. The only reason he was going to do that is because he had faith that, you know what, we're both walking back down this mountain. If I kill my son or if I don't kill my son, I don't know, but God told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. And he had faith that his God was able to raise People from the dead. That's faith. It's something that is impossible. You can hear all you want about some of these teachers around today that 
talk about people being raised from the dead and all this silliness that goes on in Christian circles. But if they truly had the power to do what they're saying, why wouldn't they go to the local morgue, the local funeral home? Boy, think of the grief that could be stricken from all these people's lives when a loved one dies if you had the power to raise somebody from the dead. The reason they don't do that is because they can't do that. Only God can do that. And it's really a picture of our own salvation, isn't it? God stepping into our life and and saving us. And he also believed in the God of creation. Not only the one who gives life to the dead, but also the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Dave did a wonderful presentation on creation um, last year, and it was, it, was, it was wonderful to see all the facts and the information. The idea that God can create something out of nothing. I don't know about you, but that makes God the God of the impossible. That doesn't make any sense to us. And yet, that's exactly who Abram put his faith in. See, this wasn't just a blind leap of faith. He understood the character of the God that he was trusting. And that's one thing that we need to understand as Christians, right? We, understand, we need to understand more about the attributes and the character of the God that we're trusting for our own salvation. The object of Abraham's faith was the God of the apostle, not only because of the resurrection and the creation, but verse 18 and 19, it says, In hope he believed against hope. What does that mean? That means when it was hopeless, he still had hope. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your life when you're just backed up against the wall? You don't have any hope at all. There's no way logically that you can get out of the mess that you find yourself in. But you know what? God can work out. God can work it out somehow. It may not be in our time. It may not be in our way. But that's where faith comes in. And that's what it says. It says he hoped... In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. I mean, that's what God called him. That's what God named him. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And look at what it says. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. And then he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb as well. The resurrection, creation, procreation. That a child could come from this aged couple. That's an impossible thing. I mean, now, you know, you hear some women who are having kids, you know, in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever. But that's not commonplace. And a lot of times there's a lot of genetic stuff going on there anyway. Artificial stuff that they they use to make that happen. Doesn't happen naturally. This was a supernatural event. And that was the object of his faith. You know, stop and think about what is the object of your faith? Is it a God who just, you know, hands out your needs like Christmas candy kind of thing? You know, I mean, you just line up and you get stuff from God. That's not the proper view of God. We have to have a view of God that, you know what, even though my logic and everything around me is telling me that this situation is impossible, my God is the God of the impossible. And he speaks that to our hearts through his word over and over and over again. Well, look at the source of Abraham's faith. The source, in verse 22, he says, basically, it was the promise of God. He says, no distrust made him waver concerning what? The promise of God. Do you understand when God makes a promise, beloved, that he can't backtrack on that? He can't say, oh, sorry. He can't say, well, uh, give me a redo on that. No. If he had to do things like that, he would not be God because our God is a true God. He speaks the truth. His word is true. When he says something will be accomplished, trust me, it will be accomplished. 
Right? That's why we, we can say with Paul, you know, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he will accomplish it. Why? It's because of us? No, it has nothing to do with us. It's God doing his work that he promised to do in us. And sometimes as believers, it's just easier if we just cooperate. <laughs> you know, when we're fighting and we're dying, oh, I don't want to do this God's way. That's just, you know, God's going to have his way. Trust me, he will. The source of Abraham's faith was the promise of God. He goes on there and he says, there was no distrust made, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. See, that's what happens when you see someone growing in their faith. You just see more and more glory being given to God. I get real nervous about people who, who want all the glory for themselves concerning their faith. Oh, I do this, I do that, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, oh, I was that before, but now I'm this. And, you know, boy, it's just I, 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 I. That doesn't glorify God. Now, I don't think Abraham was 100% fully sold out. You know, he's not like some supernatural being. He's human. He's just like you and I. When you go back and you read the story of Abraham, what happens when, when, when God comes to him and tells him, yeah, you know, you're going to have a son and, you know, you're going to have it by Sarah. What, what's his first reaction? What's he do? He laughs. You think that's glorifying to God? <laughs> God says, hey, I'm going to do this in your life. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you know who you're talking to? I mean, that's not glorifying to God. And yet, that's exactly what his reaction was. See, these people in the Bible were just like you and I. They really were. They had a sin nature. They had issues in their life. They had family issues. They had all this stuff going on. And yet, through all that, Abraham somehow found faith to believe in the God that called him to believe. And he believed in God's promise. It says in verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Paul tells us in the New Testament that God is able to do above and beyond what we can even conceive him to do. Have you ever sat around and just thought of some pretty incredible things that God could do? Maybe in your family or in your life or through you or, or whatever it might be? Have you ever just sat down and kind of made a list? You know, God, you could do this. It, you, can't, you can't come to an end. There, there's no way that you can just put it in a box and say, well, yeah, God can just do this. No, God can do anything. When it aligns with his word and his promise... And I thank God there are some things that God cannot and will not do. Can't lie. Isn't that good? Our God cannot lie to us. Why? Because that would not make him God. Can't promise us something and then not fulfill it. Our God is a God of his word. And so when he promises us something, when he says, look, here's the agenda. Here's how I want you to do this, Christian. Here's how I want you to live your life. Young person, here's, here's what I want you to put in your mind. I don't want you to put this stuff in your mind because it's going to take you down the wrong path. I want you to stay pure until you're you're married. I mean, do you think God just says that to ruin your day? I mean, do you think he's up there going, ah, let's ruin, you know, let's make their life miserable. We'll make them stay celibate until they're, they're married. That's not the plan. The plan is clearly to avoid you in for a world of hurt. And the enemy knows that. Boy, the enemy makes sin look just wonderful, doesn't he? Remember several months ago, there was a pastor down in Florida that fell, moral failure, and 
he uh, mega church. I mean, big big church. Several churches actually, like thirty plus thousand people <laughs> under this guy's ministry, and ended up in an illicit affair. You know, I always wonder, how does that happen? How does that happen? How do you go from this to that? I guarantee it doesn't, you know, it's not like the devil showed up with some good-looking woman and said, here, you don't know. It, it, it was in increments. You know, it's always in increments. Sin's always in increments. You don't just go from here to there. You know, you take little bites. I wasn't too bad. Take another little bite of that. It didn't didn't hurt anybody. It didn't hurt me. I'm still breathing. Okay, take a bigger bite. And pretty soon you find yourself in a situation and you're going, what in the world am I doing? How did I get into this situation? You know, we have to put our faith, our trust in the promise of God. And the promise of God says, you know what? He'll, he'll keep us from falling. He's able to do that if we simply distrust in him. Don't trust in ourselves. So the source of Abraham's faith was the promise of God. The result of Abraham's faith, verse 22 tells us, it says, but the words, it was counted to him, or excuse me, that it was, that is why his faith, verse 22, was counted to him as righteousness. What was the result of Abraham's faith? That justification apart from any human works was given to him. He was declared righteous in God's sight. Not because of his goodness, but because of his faith, really, in the goodness of God. And that was to the glory of God. I mean, that's what salvation ultimately is for it's about it's about God receiving the glory it's about God taking someone who's lost and dead in their sin making them alive transforming them giving them different desires desires for his word desires for the body of Christ desires to fellowship and pray i mean those things don't just happen and when that that kind of stuff happens what happens god gets the glory God gets the glory. The unfortunate thing, I think, today, even in ministry in general, we have a lot of people who are in it for their own glory. They're in it because they're talented speakers or they're dynamic leaders or this or that or whatever. I read an article the other day about the whole church growth movement, mega church kind of a thing. And they interviewed several pastors who were part of mega churches. And almost to a one, they said, you know, we don't really think this is what God wants. It's just too much. It's leaving people in the wake in a negative way. I mean, you know, we have to get our focus off you know, the bigness of ministry and say, you know, what's the depth of ministry? What, what do we really want to do? We, re- we want to see changed lives for the glory of God. And we want that to happen through the teaching of his word, through the fellowship of the saints, through, through us coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, being transparent with each other. I mean, can you imagine if a church could actually be transparent? That we could all come here and just be who we are rather than putting on the, the fake smile and the everything's okay, you're okay, I'm okay kind of a thing. It would revolutionize the church. So we need to kind of reevaluate some of these things. But now let's look at the Christian's faith quickly. The Christian's faith in God's promise that justification is based on Jesus' atoning death and his resurrection. Look at verse 23. What's the object of the Christian's faith? We've seen what the object of Abraham's faith was. What's the object of the Christian's faith? It's the God of the impossible. It's the exact same thing. Who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. 
I talked to a Christian one time and was asking him what they believe in things. And, and I was just, I didn't even know what they, how to respond to this. And they said, well, yeah, I am a Christian. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. The one thing I don't, I don't really buy into is the Jesus' resurrection. <laughs> I went, what? I mean, that's kind of the, the cornerstone of the whole thing. If you don't believe that, what do you believe? It just blew me away. I didn't even know what to say. I mean, aren't you glad that we serve a risen Savior? And that, that risen Savior isn't somewhere off in heaven. He's here in the world today, the hymn says. And he lives his life through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we go out and touch this lost and dying world for the cause of Christ. It's so, so important that we understand the object of our faith is the God of the impossible. Don't believe the lie. God could never do that. God would never do that. Well, what's the source of the Christian's faith? Once again, it's the promise of God. It's the promise of God that Jesus' death and resurrection atones for our sins. Verse 25. Who was delivered up. That's really a, a term there that literally says he was given over to. He delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. The source of our faith is that promise that Jesus' death and resurrection is exactly what he said it would be. I mean, how else would you know that other than to believe that by faith? I wasn't there at the cross and Jesus died and then, you know, he he rose from the, the dead and there was some kind of big graphic there that said, oh, now everybody can be saved. No, it was, it's by faith. It's by faith. It's a faith in the promise of God because we believe our God would not lie. If he said Jesus is sufficient to save us, then that's what we believe. If we believe that God, if God says, hey, this is how you handle this situation, then that's how we need to handle that situation. We don't need to create our own way. We need to believe in the promise, the methodology that God has laid down for us. And that's... For our salvation, it's Jesus' death and resurrection. And you know what? Through that death and resurrection, our sins have been paid for. And we just need to claim that promise. We need to put our faith, our trust in that promise. And God gives us the ability even to do that. And look at the result. Lastly, the result of the Christian's faith is that we're saved, a justification apart from human works to the glory of God. See, Abraham's faith and our faith, it's the exact same faith. I told you last week, I was always under the inclination to believe that somehow, in the Old Testament, people got saved by doing good things, and in the New Testament, we get saved by grace. That's not true. We're all saved by grace, through faith. And it's important that we we understand that. Because if we're still grappling, if we're still trying, and we're, we're still trying to, to, to put this thing together on our own, it will never happen. We need to finally just, like the, the, the man in the New Testament who just beat his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he could say. We don't have, need to have some big lengthy prayer. It's a condition of our heart. And our hearts need to be broken. Our hearts need to be shattered. Our hearts need to be found in that state of hopelessness that the only one that we can look to is Christ. And we believe his promise. We believe in his death, his resurrection. We believe in it because there's no other truth. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to believe these promises, these truths that you've laid before us. Lord, I know that just through this study that we can see clearly that Abraham's faith was the same as ours. It had the same object. It had the same source. It has the same result. Maybe in a different time period. Maybe Abraham was looking forward to the Messiah. We're looking back to the cross. 
But Lord, we just thank you that it's not some big agenda that we have to jump through a bunch of hoops and do this and do that and go through ritual after ritual after ritual in order to be saved. Father, that you've made it pretty simple that our righteousness is not our own. It's a gift of God. It's given to us through the work of Christ. And if we're willing to put our faith, our trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, that you will save us from our sin. That's your promise to us. And Lord, we we put our faith and our trust in that. So Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone here who has yet to put their faith, their trust in you, that they would understand that it's as simple as crying out to you, Lord, save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to turn from these ways that have me bound up. Free me by your grace. For believers, Lord, I pray as we leave this building today that we would be mindful of the fact that there's a lot of lost hearts around us every day, whether it's at the grocery store or the gas station or the neighbor across the street. And Father, I really believe that you've allowed us to live in a country where we do celebrate this holiday of Christmas. I don't look at it as a negative thing at all. I look at it as a very positive thing because it brings light to the Christ, the Messiah, the one who, the only one who can save us from our sin. Somehow, if we can find a way to inject Christ into the meaning of Christmas for these people who are utterly lost. I believe that you would bless that. So, Father, whether it's inviting people over, sharing with them a little devotion about Christmas or about Christ, maybe getting some tracts and handing them out, Lord, I pray that we would would do our due diligence this season to get the Word of God into the hands of people who have yet to believe, that they too could find the, the peace and the joy and the love and the hope that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We pray you bless the remainder of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.